Good morning. Merry Christmas. It sounds like some of you already know me, but for those of you who don't, my name is David Shepherd, and I'm not one of the pastors of this church. <clears throat> but I do work here. I am the administrative director, and I'm an elder on the board. I started working here back in October, and part of what I do is make schedules. Scheduling who does the announcements and the welcome, help Barbara with communion, security, stuff like that. Along the way, I asked Jeremy for a schedule of who was preaching. And it went all the way down through the year, and it got to Christmas, and it said, to be determined. Okay. I didn't think much of it at the time because I'm not a preacher. (laughs) And something said, you're going to deliver the Christmas message. About three weeks later, I talked to Jeremy, and I said, hey, Jeremy, I'd like to deliver the Christmas message. And the glow on his face was like, really? You're going to do it? He was excited. And you know how Jeremy gets when he gets excited, if you've ever seen him at youth group. So I started going through scripture, and I started to think of it as a communion meditation. Well, it's not, because that's not long enough. Well, some of mine are. But I started going through Old Testament. And I came up with 27 points in the Old Testament that point to Jesus in the New Testament. And then I went and found the 27 points that they pointed to. And I had, I don't know, 25 pages worth of scripture for this morning. But that's not what I'm doing. The title of my sermon this morning is Prophecy Fulfilled. I am using Old Testament with the help of Mark and Jeremy. I've trimmed it down to what I think are four points that will help you see Christmas differently. Because if you look at Matthew and Luke, they didn't have the Old Testament. I mean, I'm sorry. (laughs) They didn't have the New Testament. All they had was the Old Testament as reference. So when they were telling the story to the Jews and to the Gentiles. That's all they had. They were writing what we now have as the New Testament story of Jesus' birth, the greatest birth there ever was. The fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy may not be the most festive or reminiscent theme of the Christmas story, and yet both Matthew and Luke showered their nativity accounts with a chorus of prophetic references. They did this regardless of whether their target audience had a heavy investment in prophecy, as Matthew did with his Jewish readers, and not so much as Luke with his Gentile readers. Either way, the gospel writers felt that prophecy was an indispensable part of the nativity story, with good reason. God has spoken and acted in real history. Through actual events and real human lives, he has made promises and kept them. He has called people to record and remembered them. He's not an obscure deity of myth and legend, but the God who has done wondrous things, none more so than the birth, life, death, and resurrection of his son. 
There's a lot of churches that to this day only teach out of the New Testament. It's like they believe that the Old Testament is finished. It's in the past. And now we have, after the birth of Christ, the New Testament. And that's all that's important. And you can go to churches and they don't ever open the Old Testament. That's why I'm glad to be a part of Heights. We use the whole Bible from cover to cover like we did over the last five years. Today we will focus on the birth of Jesus foretold in the Old Testament. It's customary to think of Jesus' birth as a moment of peace and tranquility under a crisp, clear night sky. Some of the best-known Christmas carols are found in that atmosphere. Like, go tell it on the mountain. Whole, <laughs> oh, little town of Bethlehem. The Gospel of Luke records another account in a field full of shepherds outside of town. A large number of heavenly beings just appeared, lighting up the sky. Could you imagine? Here you are, you're a shepherd, you're out with your flocks, probably curled up with a wool blanket, and the sky just lights up. What would that be like? I, I can't even imagine. It would just be so overwhelming. This was the first public announcement of Jesus' birth. A prophetic chorus. More than four centuries, after more than four centuries of silence, since the final Old Testament prophet, Malachi. Prophecy may not be a major factor in how modern people imagine the Christmas story, but it was vital for both Luke and Matthew, who each took up the chorus and shared their nativity accounts with prophecies fulfilled by the birth of Jesus. Point number one, the virgin shall conceive. Writing to a Jewish audience, Matthew appeals to Old Testament prophecies early and often to show his readers that Jesus was their long-awaited Messiah, the descendant of David and Abraham. He begins by citing this message from Isaiah to King Ahaz 700 years earlier, which was the fulfillment of the virgin birth of Christ. Matthew parallels the name of Jesus, God is salvation, with the title Emmanuel, God with us. As they both describe Mary's child, the incarnate Son of God, who would save his people from their sins. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. This prophecy was written in Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That was 700 years before the birth of Christ. And God already knew it was going to happen. Point two. Abraham and his offspring. 
Mary responds to the prospect of bearing God's Son with exuberant proclamation of the divine fulfillment, brimming with allusions of Old Testament themes, recalling God's promise to Abraham and to his offspring that are scattered throughout the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, all the way back in the first book. In Genesis 12:3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonor you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. By connecting the birth of her child with the Abrahamic covenant, Mary becomes the first person in the New Testament to identify her son, Jesus, as the promised Messiah through Abraham. The one with whom the promises were made and throughout whom the nations were blessed. See, Mary was a young girl, but yet she knew of the Old Testament teachings because of her upbringing. All the way back to Genesis, and she made that connection that her son was of the line of Abraham and David. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring, forever. That's 2,000 years before Jesus. 2,000 years before Jesus. The Son of the Most High is my next point. And part of this is just helping you remember that still there was no New Testament. I'm just giving you the cross-references so you know where to find them. Luke records Angel Gabriel making a similar announcement to Mary regarding the miraculous birth of her son, Jesus. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Once more, the angel references several prophecies that would have been familiar to Mary. These include God's promise to King David from Nathan, the prophet, that one of David's descendants would sit on his throne and rule an everlasting kingdom. Nathan wrote in 2 Samuel, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, and you shall, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. They also include Isaiah's more explicit messianic prophecy in which prophet, the prophet describes the future Davidic sovereign as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. This always reminds me of Charlie Brown's Christmas. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the increase of his government of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this I should probably slow down and drink some water I'm already on point four born in Bethlehem of Judea now this is the part of the story that always made me wonder the wise men they see the star and they come and they're looking for the king of the Jews this this Messiah and they come to Herod and Herod is all kinds of torqued off that this little kid is going to take his throne because he's the king, King Herod. And it just, I don't know, it makes me think of like the Pharisees and all of the stories we hear about at Jesus' death. These people had the Old Testaments, they had the writings, they had the scripture, and they read it, but they didn't understand it. So, Matthew's next batch of prophetic quotes is tied to the relationship between Herod and the Messiah, who would be the future king of Israel. Perturbed at the idea of being replaced, Herod wanted to know where the Messiah would be born. So did the wise men. The location, Bethlehem, was an open secret, having been predicted by the prophet Micah. But Micah offered further details that should have given Herod pause. The Messiah had existed since before ancient times and would be king and shepherd of his people ruling the whole earth in the name and majesty of God. So these wise men, they weren't just hanging out around Bethlehem like the shepherds were. They came from Persia, 2,400 miles away. So to just think that, you know, they hopped in the car and drove, no. They probably rode their camels or walked 2,400 miles So when you see nativity scenes and you look at there's baby Jesus in the manger and Mary and Joseph and here is the wise man and the little drummer boy and he's still a baby. They traveled. It was probably a year later that they actually saw baby Jesus. But they didn't stop. They were going to find out where he was. Herod gathered together his priests and scribes, his chief priests and scribes. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So, if Herod had just had his scribes before this, because they it was we're already eight pages in, and all this Old Testament prophecy points to the birth of Jesus. But Herod didn't read that deep. He was too busy being king. But if he'd looked in Micah in the Old Testament, uh, Micah five two through five, but you, O Bethlehem Ephraim. 
are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up, and the time when she who is in labor has given birth, then the rest of his brother shall return, the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. And the majesty of the name of the Lord has given, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So I guess this is probably why I like to reference Old Testament prophecy, Old Testament in general. I don't want to miss anything. And maybe they didn't miss it because it was all God's plan the whole time. But I just think that it's important to read the the entire Bible, not just the New Testament, not just the happy parts. Um, And I I just like to share that with you. So I, I appreciate you coming this morning and hearing what I have to say, because it's already been spoken. In a post-Christian culture, it may be more vital than ever to show that the facts of the gospel, the facts of Jesus' life, matter. The Christmas story isn't just about having all the holiday feelings. It's about a God who promised men and women long ago that he would send his Messiah for them and save them and give them hope. And it's about God delivering on those promises centuries later. At the place and moment of his choosing through the birth of his son Jesus. It's no wonder the heavenly chorus echoed these prophecies and greeted their fulfillment with their own shout. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among them whom he blessed. So since I don't have the other 42 verses, I'm going to read you the Christmas story. Starting in Luke 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Your relative Elizabeth in her old age will conceive a son. And this is the sixth month 
with her, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Luke 1, 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Matthew 1, 18 through 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to, di- resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is in conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Then I move on to Matthew 1 through 12. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all of the <clears throat> and assembling all of the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them the time that the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over a place where the child was. 
When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasure, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. That's the way the story is delivered to most people when they first hear it, just out of the New Testament. Even though there's references there back to because the prophet said it, because it is written. Those are the things that I hope to encourage people to look for, not only in the Christmas story, but things like communion, um, other events that we do here. You just have to expand your mind and wonder what it was like to live when Matthew and Luke were telling people for the first time about the birth of Jesus. Because Matthew and Luke weren't there. They didn't come around until Jesus was preaching to the crowds. So they had to refer to the Old Testament to get the story that we rejoice in today, the birth of Christ, who was sent for us to save us all. Let us pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for that child that you sent over 2,000 years ago, Father. You knew then that we needed a Savior. And you sent Jesus to be sacrificed, to be buried, and to be resurrected for all of our sins, Lord Father. We don't deserve it, but you sent him anyway. We thank you that he came, and we thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.